Welcome to the Turning Point Podcast. I'm Marita Espada, and if you are new to the podcast, I sit with creatives and entrepreneurs to speak about what turning points had the most impact in their lives and how they laid the foundation to their own journeys. If you're already a fan of the podcast, welcome back. I have incorporated a bit of business and well-being components to the podcast. This sense of taking care of your mind to improve your overall performance is something that I truly believe in. My guest today is Rash Singh, the co-founder and CEO of Loop Team, a company that helps create a virtual office for distributed teams to help them communicate faster, capture and share discussions, and stay more connected. As a successful entrepreneur, he has co-founded a few companies, Tempo AI, a smart calendar acquired by Salesforce, and All the Cooks that was acquired by Cookpad. He also served as the VP of Business Development for Skyfire, who was later acquired by Opera. With a track record of being successful in the tech industry, I'm looking forward to our conversation today as we discuss remote work and what the future holds for companies as they embrace people working remotely. Also, if you're enjoying the music, follow the count. All the information is on the description of the episode. And without further ado, let's kick off the episode. Hi, Rush. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Marita. Uh, happy to be here today. So I like to start um, most of my podcast episodes just start with my guest just giving a little bit of a snapshot of your story, your background, what have you done, and where are you currently doing right now? Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, I am a very uh, native, uh, one of the few that was actually born here uh, when there used to be apple orchards in Cupertino. Uh, where I live right now, uh, obviously all Apple now uh, with their corporate buildings. Uh, but I've been involved in tech uh, since um, high school, practically. I was a computer technician at Fry's Electronics and CompUSA when it was one of the most sought after jobs in high school. Uh, and, and then went to go get my computer engineering degree at Cal Poly uh, San Luis Obispo, just down here in Central California. Um, you know, uh, having going to school during the dot-com boom, um, and seeing some of my uh, high school classmates that were just a year or two older who got to participate in that boom because they graduated in 98 or 99 um, made me feel like, you know, I need to do something. I need to get involved in this too. So I actually started my first company uh, in 2000. I dropped out of master's uh, and started a file sharing network. And that was sort of the beginning of what became a whole series of startups for me. And I do remember, uh, you know, uh, back then, you didn't have accelerators, you didn't have incubators, there was little to no information available. So you really did not have a support network like you do today. You don't have LinkedIn, you don't have any of that stuff. And so I remember asking a professor, like, how do you start a company? And he had suggested going to the library and checking out a book that was like, from the Chamber of Commerce on like how to start a company. <laughs> so I was like, you know, this is like where we started. Uh, but you know, I uh, through some sort of hustle and just, and, and that's been a thematic sort of repeating theme that I have found with each of my startups, there was quite a bit of hustle and a little bit of luck. And certainly I've had my set of failures as well, uh, was able to get something going, uh, in 2000, uh, uh, won the business plan competition at the school that was sort of my hack to figure out how to get money and get some celebrity credentials so I can meet other people and sort of work my way from there. And then repeated that pattern uh, in 2003 and 2005 and 2008. And uh, come 2008, I sort of started getting uh, more familiar with 
kind of the venture uh, scene and uh, had my first sort of company raising real venture money uh, and, and went into that sort of world. And that's a whole nother world and learned each of these obviously been providing different lessons along the way and not all of them were necessarily successful. Uh, fast forward to today, uh, my current startup is called Loop Team and we've been focused on uh, building what we call a virtual office for distributed teams. Uh, and what we're trying to solve is a lot of the pain points that uh, people are missing since they left the office. So lack of casual communication in their team. So we yep. try to encourage that, people feeling lonely and so forth. Uh, and a lot of that stems from a previous startup, which has been, again, a recurring theme, passion sort of driven and based on previous life experiences. And so how did, it's interesting that now you have this business now when we're in a time where everyone's just working remote. Um, I would imagine that you built this business pre-pandemic. And I guess my question is, how did the um, the idea come about? Is it that you saw that there was a gap with companies just getting comfortable with the idea of having folks work remote and understanding that it it does work? I work remote. I feel like it does work. But I feel like there's this like, I don't know if it's like myth or kind of like this idea where uh, you miss so many things. And I think like that's exactly what your business does, right? Yeah. So, you know, my last company, I had my, it was called Tempo. We had our office in Menlo Park, uh, very close to Facebook. Um, and this was in 2011, 2012 timeframe. And like many other startups in the Valley, recruiting engineering talent can be very difficult. Uh, large companies pay, pay these people a fortune. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it was challenging. And Investors at that time did not necessarily have an appetite to invest in companies that weren't based in the Bay Area. That was in itself uh, been a dramatic change that's happened just sort of between 2010 and 2020 is how the investor appetite has changed. Uh, there's all has always been this sort of belief that the first 10 people should all be in the office. Anyways, uh, in order to compensate for not being able to attract sort of some of this talent, we started hiring in a distributed fashion. But I was really against remote. Uh, and sort of my strategy was always, well, if we're going to hire somebody remotely, we need to create a plan that we can get them back to our office or time zone or whatever it is over the next year or two, because this has to be looked at as a temporary situation. But next thing you know it, we had a person in Seattle, two people in Denver. It was just simply difficult to recruit and one in slow. And the vast majority of the team was in the Bay Area, but we started hiring interns and interns I psychologically could justify because I'm like, these are interns, they can be remote, right? And so we would hire a lot of <laughs> software engineering interns. Some of them were part-time interns through the school year, interestingly enough. Uh, and not realizing it, we had basically built a partially distributed team. Um, and I wasn't necessarily a fan of remote. And so what I did, um, which, is, which I in some ways almost sort of regret, but it was the culture we had created was we set up an office water cooler. So we set up a laptop that was perched in the room, which had a Google Hangout now called Google Meet running 24 hours a day. And anybody who was remote or anybody who was working from home and work from home culture at Tempo uh, was kind of strict. We really didn't foster it. Uh, I didn't foster it. And if you did sort of work from home, I would, I would ask or require that people would set it in schedule. So it was sort of the same day every week. Uh, so we had predictability and it wasn't allowed on Fridays because uh, Fridays was all hands and I wanted everybody in the office. Um, so anybody who was working remote or uh, working from home would have to sign into this always on running video water cooler. And what we would do is we would ship a second machine 
uh, to each employee. So we would ship either an iPad or a second laptop. We did this with our interns as well. And almost always at the very beginning, there was a little bit of angst. It's like, whoa, uh, you know, I'm on camera while I'm working. I can hear and see everything going on. Um, and that was perfectly, you know, it, it, it was interesting. That was the immediate reaction. But what was really interesting was after about a week, it, it flipped. It became more like, whoa, I feel disconnected unless I'm in this thing. Because when I'm in this thing, I can see what you guys are talking about at the office. I can hear everything. I can see people going around. This is actually really, really powerful. I'm really enjoying this. And Google Hangouts was only as reliable as Google Hangouts was at the time, yep. but it was sufficient for what we needed to do. And uh, fast forward, the company grew. And next thing you know it, those four remotes sometimes would hit 15 because there was uh, remote interns or whatever, some combination of. And all of a sudden, we're in a much bigger office. Uh, we had moved to Mountain View at the time, uh, and we're in a much bigger office. And so that little perched laptop had upgraded into a TV. Uh, and that TV was now on wheels. And this TV would be you know, in the corner of a large room and people would look up and they'd see all these faces up there. And some faces were huge because Hangouts would focus in on one face. It didn't have a grid view at the time. And uh, it just, it became ineffective. Uh, it was weird. Some people would get up and walk up to the TV if they had to ask a question. It was kind of odd. So people started jumping into the two couple conference rooms that we had. Um, the other thing that started happening was everyone who was in the Hangout would mute themselves. Um, and they're like, okay, this is not working, right? It's just too much echo, too much feedback. Um, so it just, it just wasn't working. So now fast forward again, uh, company was acquired. We were at Salesforce. I remember my first week at Salesforce, maybe it was the second week. I'm walking down the hallway and there's this iPad on a robot. I don't know if you've seen these things, these little robotic oh, yep. little robots zipping down the hallway. And I'm like, okay. So I look up at Scott, my uh, former employee, from, from, Den from Denver and Colorado. And I said, hey, Scott, where are you going? And he said, I'm running late to a meeting. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this is, you know, this was Salesforce's attempt, or at least the group that we had been acquired by, uh, attempt to sort of, you know, be more inclusive in sort of integrating our remote culture. But the reality was they had not, had not really had a distributed team before that. And it was all sort of new. And that experiment failed really quickly because it was just too awkward to be looking up at a robot in an office room uh, and waiting for a robot to arrive to represent somebody uh, <laughs> and this whole notion of trying to take a physical world concept. And who opens the door for the robot bring, yeah, at this exactly. point. <laughs> and bring it into virtual. The whole thing was just silly. Um, but uh, uh, so that, you know, so, so, you know, I thought a lot about that. And then after I left Salesforce, I would check in with some of my former uh, colleagues and I would ask them, how are things going? And one of the things that was really interesting was almost all of the folks that worked remotely flew to a Salesforce office for at least one week every four to six weeks. And this was recurring. This wasn't like for the first month. This was for like a year or two years or three years. Um, and, and I'd ask them why. And obviously it was fun maybe the first few times, but after a while, you know, it gets tiring. And they basically said they're needing to do this to feel connected uh, because they feel sort of disconnected from the mothership because a lot of their meetings are the only remote person or in a lot of their meetings, uh, there's a lot of discussion or whatever happening uh, that they're not seeing just because they're physically remote and they don't know these co uh, colleagues or friends that they're working with or whatever it might be. Uh, so they're needing to do this. So all of this, uh, you know, and that's a long winded story 
uh, that I'm telling here, but all of this really is the genesis of how uh, Loop Team came about. And it's really interesting because um, in part of this cycle, uh, you know, I mentally went shifted. I, you know, I went from being completely like anti-remote, uh, let's get everyone in the office, uh, where come 2017, I was like, you know what, maybe I'm thinking about all of this wrong. Uh, maybe it's not about FaceTime, but it's really about making sure we create a culture that can make people work well in that environment, still feel included, uh, still feel like there's information transparency and, and measure based on accountability of getting work done as opposed to measuring based on how many hours you're sitting at your desk. Um, and so a lot of that was a mental transformation for me. Um, and then of course now, 2020, I have software and I'm promoting it. Uh, so real fascinating just seeing that shift. <laughs> and it's good. And, and you probably, you know this, you've probably done the research. Um, I can't think of any study at the moment, but I know I've read it in several articles where um, it's been tested that people are more productive working from home. And I think that stems a lot from, at least in my experience, you go to an office and it's like you're getting your coffee, you're catching up, you're doing so many things. And that is time that you're not working versus at home you're not really doing that. So it's just like getting your breakfast and you sit and put some music, maybe get some work done. Yeah, so, so, there, so you are correct. Um, and there's a, the, the problem right now is there's a little bit of haze around all of these studies. So let me, let me clarify. So um, I think one, so generally most studies are indicating that, pe that employees are being more productive since they've been working at home. It's not a slam dunk. It's not 100%. It's something mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, 20, 30% are indicating that it's flat, 30, 40% are indicating a rise, 20, 30% are indicating that it's down. Um, the part that's been a little bit unclear here is two things. One, the average amount of time people are working has gone up. Uh, so because they're not necessarily physically in the presence of others, there's a perception that I need to work more to show that I'm doing stuff and getting stuff done. Um, this is sort of a personal sense of accountability. Um, so people are working longer hours, which could be contributing to the productivity increase. Uh, the second thing that's in play here is due to COVID, this isn't representative of a real world remote work environment or situation in the sense that in, in a true remote work or distributed team sort of setup, you're not relegated to having to only work at your house. You could go work out of a co-working space. You could go work out of a coffee shop. Yep. You can still go outside and meet and greet. You can travel. You can do things like that. Um, you also don't have to deal with children being at home because they're not at school, right? So these kinds of things have substantially increased the amount of micro distractions that are happening in people's days. And so it's not a completely accurate measure. Um, but I think the general consensus, and most people tend to agree, that if remote work culture done right, productivity is up. Uh, you know, it, it is better from that sort of perspective. But the however part is also important. Uh, there's an equivalent amount of research also talking about how fully distributed teams are struggling with innovation, uh, which is a different thing altogether. Um, and a lot of that is some of the stuff that we are trying to solve at Loop Team. But the point being that because of the lack of micro interactions, uh, just simply not having a lot of sort of fast paced bursts of discussion, things that you would do when you're in an office, not having the, let's call it background discussions or the hallway chats or the things, the interruptions. Uh, are actually affecting uh, the breadth of information transfer across your team and thereby reducing opportunity for sort of creative bursts or creative thought uh, and thus reducing innovation. So it's really interesting 
seeing both sides of it. And we just simply don't have enough case studies of large companies because to date, to be pre-COVID, the vast majority of sort of fully distributed companies were very small, sub 50, and maybe 20 companies in total were larger than 100, at least when you're thinking about tech. And they were all very sort of well known, but we just simply don't have a lot of case studies regarding the impact on innovation, particularly in a company that's not doing well um, and how it's impacted from being fully distributed. Yeah, and I think we're gonna see a shift in that because I think Microsoft announced that they are okay with people being remote permanently. At least that's one of the, the companies that I've heard. And I did have a question that I feel like it is in people's you know mind when it comes to like remote work and I wanted to get your opinion on it. I feel that maybe some people that are more introverted um, and are not kind of like the squeaky wheel might be affected by remote work with um, career progression, right? Because they have to show my, I have to show my value, right? You have to show what you are doing, are you excelling, what benefits and how much of an asset you are for the company. So as an introvert, I feel like some people might not feel that they are um, set for success being a remote employee. But if you are more outspoken, then you, people are going to know what you're building and what you're doing. Um, have you seen that in, in building your, your company and trying to, to cater to those, to those individuals? We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to give you all a few quick reminders. If you would like to view more free content relating to mental clarity and how this can help you as a creative and entrepreneur, you may visit maritaspada.com. The link is also in the description of the episode. Also, if you are gaining value from the podcast and enjoying every episode, please consider leaving a rating or a review on the platform of your choice. If you're not able to leave a rating or review, just follow the podcast. And now back to the show. So let me let me answer from the perspective of data that I've seen. I mean, certainly within my company, uh, we're, we're in startup phase, so we're 10, 20, 30 people. And so we don't really hit that uh, scale where you start seeing patterns of this sort of behavior or, or not I don't say behavior, but these sort of outcomes. Yep. Um, I think one of the things that there's been a lot of debate and discussion around in the remote work community is what is the future of hybrid? Um, and hybrid is a term they've been throwing out, which is this notion that some people can work remotely and some people can go to the office. Historically, pre-COVID era, that team configuration where you had an office and you had people remote was the worst team configuration. That was the configuration I had at Tempo um, at my last company. But it was the worst team configuration because there was a significant advantage for those people that were in the office. And those people that were remote uh, were frankly disadvantaged uh, because they didn't get to see or hear or participate in a lot of the other background sort of activities that were going on. And come hybrid office, um, and, and increasingly, this is what we're hearing from Fortune 2000, so Microsoft included, um, their survey after survey is showing that most employees are preferring to have some kind of hybrid access. So they wanna come into the office in some capacity. Um, and so you're gonna have a percentage that may opt to go remote. Um, and in that case, that's fine. And in many companies, just to be clear, that was already the policy beforehand through manager approval if you wanted to be fully remote. However, it wasn't necessarily encouraged. So maybe that'll be a bit more encouraged and a bit more um, culturally adopted within the organization. Then you're gonna have a group of people that may just opt to be in the office every day. Um, and then you're gonna have hybrid. And there's a lot of interesting facets here because traditionally those that were in the office implicitly pr 
applied social pressure for others to come into the office. And that's where we just don't know. Uh, when those people start coming back to the office, even in the hybrid capacity, are the managers then coming in more, which they often will, because everyone knows that being seen is being heard and you want to be seen as much as possible, um, thereby resulting in certain employees coming in more, thereby resulting in other employees feeling that they have to come in more. And so how does that all play out? And we, we just don't know. And, and this all sort of trickles down to what you're talking about is that is the traditional argument for those that are remote in a company that's primarily in an office is they do not see the um, opportunity to grow at the same clip as those that are physically in the office. And I think the data supports that, um, that there's a tendency to bias towards uh, promoting people that uh, you work with closely. Um, other tangential interesting data, just sort of as a side note that's related to that, that's also emerged recently, is there's hiring data showing that during, since the pandemic, that the volume of hires that are coming from in-network has gone up, um, which is very fascinating, which is basically saying that if I'm going to hire a stranger remotely, I have more trust issues. So I want to hire from the network. Um, so you're seeing these things already happening, even, even though um, the sort of general discussion would be, hey, no, we want to be as inclusive as possible. Uh, but it's not necessarily being shown yet in the data. Um, so long story uh, short, to sort of summarize, to answer your question, the one thing that is playing to the advantage of everybody, whether it's internal or external, is a general mindset shift and a general shift in the, number, in the types of tools that these teams are using to measure progress and success and accountability in a slightly different way. Uh, whereas traditionally it may have been measured from being seen, but rather now is it gonna be measured on what you're actually getting done? Um, are you actually creating more teamwork? Are you actually fostering uh, more uh, happiness across your employees or whatever it is? And this coupled with new sort of peer review tools that are much more oriented around checking in on almost like a monthly or weekly basis. Um, I think all of these things are good. Um, and so I think those things will help with the accountability and help drive more uh, equitability between those that are remote and those that are in the office. But I'm not yet ready to say that it's definitive because we just simply don't know what natural sort of human behavior is going to happen once people start returning to the office and people feel that for peer pressure that maybe they should go back to. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I agree with that too. And it's interesting because I wonder sometimes, is there like a secret formula that leadership uh, leadership teams and different um, companies should follow because I think even even pre uh, COVID, there's a company called Envision App, and they don't have any offices. Uh, you know, it's they, everyone's remote, and they just give them, I guess, like some sort of um, budget to buy whatever they need to work remote. And so there is companies out there that are successful in what they're doing. And so it's interesting if they're willing to to share that formula. I think Basecamp is also another one. And so you have all the, and I even think the CEO or someone C-level has a podcast or a book about working remote and, and building teams. Yeah, that Matt Mullenweg, I think. Uh, but yeah, I, I was going to so. say, yeah, I was going to say, so let's go through a couple of those examples because I think this is important. Um, so InVision is a fascinating company. InVision is one of the you know, hugest remote work advocate evangel you know, ev evangelists, not evangelicals, evangelists <laughs> uh, uh, sort of out there. Um, and they've been remarkably quiet the last year or two. 
And uh, they very early endorsed this fully distributed culture, I think hit a peak of 13 or 1400 employees globally distributed. But a couple things that are very important to think about. One, they were remote first on day one. Um, so they, in their hiring process, self-selected um, hiring people that were comfortable with being sort of remote first, because not everybody necessarily even would apply for a job that was strictly remote. Some people just don't want that because they don't live in a situation where they can work in that sort of fashion. Um, the second thing is they hired globally on day one. And that's very different when you think about post-COVID teams, because post-COVID teams are mostly in similar time zones. And the data is showing that as much as these teams are talking about hiring remotely, a lot of the data is showing that Fortune 2000 is still mostly hiring within similar time zones. Uh, so they're still leaning into what they call a more synchronous culture, uh, which is basically more talk driven versus just text written form driven, uh, asynchronous. Um, the, uh, the thing about InVision that in particular that's kind of interesting is they're down to three, 400 employees. They're not doing particularly great right now. Figma has been eating up their business um, and they're kind of struggling. And I've heard hearsay feedback from some engineering management there that they're in a situation now where they actually need more synchronous time um, because they need to do more brainstorming <laughs> to try to figure out how to get out of this rut. And so they need more creative energy. But the problem is it's very difficult for them to get more synchronous time because they're so globally distributed, uh, you know, in, basically in every country in the world. Um, uh, Buffer and GitLab and many of these other companies that, you know, you, know, you mentioned GitLab or you mentioned, uh, sorry, you mentioned uh, Basecamp. Basecamp. Uh, yeah, some of these other companies that you measured. Yes, these are also fully distributed uh, uh, companies. What is interesting is all of these companies have published playbooks. So you can go and read these remote work playbooks. But what's happened after COVID should really be thought of in the same vein as when the iPhone was released. And what I mean by that is you had this mobile guard, people building apps for the Nokia smartphone and for Blackberry and Windows phone and whatnot. And then the iPhone was released. And I don't know how closely you followed all of that at the time, but one of the things a lot of this sort of mobile guard would say is, hey, Apple, you're breaking all the rules. You're not allowed to do this. You have to ship with an operator. You can't be setting up an app store on your own. Like none of this stuff makes sense. And really what happened, and they didn't really realize it for two, three years, is they had become deprecated. The old mobile guard was living by a different set of rules. And the new mobile community that formed post-Apple had created a new set of rules, and that was sort of the way things were going to be done. And the same thing's happening here in remote. So what's interesting is a lot of the remote work companies or sort of fully distributed companies pre-COVID, in my opinion, and this could be a little bit controversial, but in my opinion, a lot of their remote work playbooks are not necessarily as applicable today, to today, to today. Uh, and the reason I say that is the teams today tend to be in similar time zones. The teams today tend to uh, have been hired through an office environment. Um, the teams today uh, tend to value synchronous discussion, which basically is more, uh, uh, more live communication as opposed to everything being textual, which a lot of the pre-COVID teams would uh, strongly argue um, uh, evangelize, evangelize that asynchronous is the way everything should be run. We should try to eliminate synchronous communication. So it is really fascinating that there is a little bit of this contention between these two different buckets. Yeah. And it's very interesting. It's a very interesting topic because sometimes you just say, well, remote work and you don't really like drill down into like what you're saying, the uh, the playbooks and the strategies that, that companies are using. But now with COVID, add on top of that, the mental health of teams where if someone's single and now they're home, stuck at home all the time alone, 
that also takes a toll on their work product. So like now this whole being remote has even gotten more complicated. Like what do you do with those folks that are completely alone at home all the time, depending on what state they're in and what regulations they 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 have to follow, they are home. Um, so no, yeah, loneliness actually, I think is the number three. So most recent survey data that I've looked at 500-ish founders, um, all, all teams that use Slack and, and or Zoom and or Google Meet or whatever, loneliness was the number three highest reported issue uh, amongst their teams, uh, simply just sort of feeling alone uh, and, and uh, not trivially solved. Uh, virtual office solutions, like some of the stuff I'm working on is trying to solve that by creating some liveliness, but it's a non-trivial problem because um, you know, when you walk into an office, there's so much visual communication happening throughout the day that your mind feels like things are happening. Uh, even if yeah. you're zoned out, you see things happening, even whether it's somebody just simply putting on their glasses or taking off their headphones or whatever, there's visual communication that's constantly happening. But at home in your home setting, even with the window view, things may feel very stagnant. Yeah, no, and, and I agree with that. And, and, you know, and I think it's good that, that someone like yourself is building a business to help companies and help individuals um, find a healthy and productive way to work remote because I think it's an important conversation to have. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think, I think the one, the, the, the big thing, the sort of the, the, the silver linings that have come out of COVID um, not to, you know, one, we've taken a whole bunch of industries that frankly probably should have been remote and we're not like, for example, uh, why is notarization something I have to do in person? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, and, and, and that's going to result in huge, huge, you know, life, life improvement. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of doctor visits that frankly could be replaced with a video call. That doesn't necessarily yes. require me to go into the doctor's office. Um, so that's sort of one silver lining. I think the other one is there was a lot of people that believed that nothing would work if we all went remote, like it's, it would be doomsday. And people are like, you know what, actually it, it's working. Like we can, uh, our, our company has figured it out. We're mostly executing. I'm not saying this is all companies. And I think some of the more recent, like I saw some McKinsey data saying something like 40 or 50% of companies are really struggling. And that's because they have labs and they have, you know, hardware and things like that, you know, but the pure software type businesses uh, or businesses uh, or, or you're mostly dealing in pure software, they've mostly been okay. Um, and I think that's been a good silver lining because I think what this really means is it's not going away. Um, it's going to be a new pillar of the future of work. And, and as you think about uh, all of these organizations, as they uh, are growing, they're going to adopt, you know, there's going to be a new virtual office called the remote office that employees can work in. Uh, you know, uh, you could hire to work at the physical office here at Apple and Cupertino, or you could join a remote office. Yeah. And with your company, um, uh, when was it founded and what does the future look for Loop Team? So we started in uh, about 18 and, um, you know, I think, I think what COVID has done, and you probably have heard this uh, before, uh, it has accelerated remote work or the digital transformation, so to speak, uh, 10 years and three months. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing that I can do curbside pickup at uh, uh, Mod Pizza or whatever, you know, <laughs> things I couldn't do before. Uh, um, I think for, for Loop Team, I think Right now, um, when you think about like the different phases of remote and what's going on with a lot of Fortune 2000 
type companies, there's still a lot of experimentation. They're sort of saying, we just don't know uh, how this is gonna play out. So we have Slack and Zoom here, or we have you know Mattermost or Microsoft Teams or whatever they're using here. Uh, we're just gonna keep going with this until we have some more solidified plans. But at some point when the sort of office reopening hybrid kind of uh, uh, environment is sorted out, um, there's gonna be a serious look at what the remote work uh, tool stack is going to look like. And what's been really nice um, is since COVID, there's been a lot of focus on this area and a lot of new tools have emerged uh, to help teams from everything from sort of virtual whiteboarding uh, to, to things like what we do, which is sort of to recreate some of the feel of being in an office while remote. Um, so I think, I think uh, um, what you're going to see is a lot more adoption of these sort of things as plans start solidifying as soon as we kind of turn some of this COVID craziness, like turn the corner, because uh, right now it's been a little bit of a moving target. Um, and, uh, you know, you are going to see um, just a general radical transformation uh, uh, of the sort of perspective that remote um, is, a, is a real work model and not, uh, not an exception. Uh, and, and I think you will see even more of it in the next generations of startups that are emerging now uh, that sort of start remote first. Yep, it's very important too that sometimes uh, just because your headquarters are in, I don't know, San Francisco, um, there's talent everywhere. So why limit yourself um, and your company to the talent that's local? And I think that's a very important piece that leadership sometimes doesn't see in some companies. And um, it's a very important piece yeah, I think I think the question right now in a lot of companies is really, um, and and you see these different configurations, is sort of saying, okay, we know how to work remotely, but should we open up to remote in first of all other countries or not, and then two, should we open up to remote many time zones away or not, and how does that impact our workflow? If a organization is predominantly within a similar time zone. Um, you know, they're going to lean into trying to keep people in that similar time zone because they've created a very synchronous kind of culture. There's not that many organizations in Fortune 2000 that are truly globally distributed from an employee per capita basis. The vast majority of them tend to be dominant within a specific few time zones. And so they tend to want to hire within those specific few time zones. However, the next set of companies that are formed maybe some Fortune 2000 companies will come out of them. Um, so maybe we will have a 100,000 person fully distributed company um, that's all over the world, and that's gonna be very different. But we're, we, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, to date, most, some of the largest fully distributed companies pre-COVID, again, were less than 2,000. Yeah. And so I wanted to, to pivot a little bit here as we, as we wrap up this, you know, this great episode, because I think it's a very important conversation, like I mentioned. Um, asking more questions, um, uh, more, I guess, more personal questions, but um, what books have you read lately and which one has really just made an impact or something that you've read in one of those chapters that just you implemented in your life or in your routine? Yeah. So, you know, uh, um, so I'm going to pre-caveat this question and say, I'm somebody who prefers cliff notes over books. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've, I've just always been that way. Uh, uh, but uh a few books that I've read recently. So, um, uh, and some of these are selfish as they were more related to career and some of them are related to family. Um, so 
had a daughter recently. Uh, she's 14 months old now. So I read Congratulations. Uh, Strong Father, Strong Daughters. This was off, off a recommendation. Uh, great book. I encourage it to, for all fathers uh, who have a newborn daughter. Uh, um, and it's just sort of, it's a fascinating book because it's written from the perspective of case studies. So it's sort of like, what if your daughter does this? So how would you react? <laughs> so it's really interesting. <laughs> it's in preparing kind of, you for the future. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. Uh, uh, it's sort of this case study kind of approach. Uh, from a more work perspective, um, I read a book called Can You Hear Me recently, um, which was written by Nick Morgan, who is actually the uh, presidential debate commentator on CNN, uh, not this last election cycle, but the uh, 2016 cycle. Um, and he actually did an ana analysis of, uh, uh, of uh, web conferencing and its impact on sort of the psychology and the social dynamics. And so he has some really interesting tips there, like how you should always stand up in your conference calls and show your whole body, uh, for example, which is really fascinating. Uh, there's some pretty wild ideas in there, but it's really interesting because he's going into the psychology of web conferencing and how it affects communication. Um, other books that I read recently, uh, How to Read a Person Like a Book. Um, that's a good one too. Um, if you want an interesting, uh, more casual read, um, this person, the author of that book, uh, pretended to be um, deaf uh, for two years uh, by wearing uh, these like uh, headphones that basically blocked out sound for two years. Wow, uh, <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> yeah, and and forced him to start being able to read people. And he would go to coffee shops and sit there for eight hours a day. And what's really fascinating is within months, he was able to retrain part of his brain and he could very accurately read people's emotions discussions, how they think, whether they're lying or not, really fascinating uh, through, through that sort of exercise. I'm definitely reading that one. That's a very interesting kind of like, I guess, life experiment, if you will. Yeah. It's, so I want yeah. to give you a few samples of things I've read recently. <laughs> that's, that's a good one, a really good one. Um, and then the, the last question that I have for you is mostly what do you do to like unwind at the end of the day when you're not thinking about remote work? What does that look like? You know, um, I am in that bucket that uh, COVID has been really difficult uh, in the sense that uh, uh, we are, you know, my, my eight-year-old's at home from school, are, you know, doing remote school. And then we have the 14, 15-month-old 15 almost now running around. Um, it's been very difficult to unwind. Uh, um, so I don't have any great tips here. Um, as soon as sort of work is done, babysitter leaves. So I'm taking over the 15-month-old, you know, and then the eight-year-old is like needing help on his homework. Um, and this pretty much becomes this nonstop affair until like 10 p.m. Uh, we do try to get out uh, when my wife gets off work um, around six o'clock, uh, depending on her schedule, because she works with Japan a lot. Um, so they have late meetings. Um, and, uh, um, and then in that case, I can go out for a bike ride or play some tennis or something to get out of the house with my son. Yep. Um, but of course, now that it, uh, with the time change in winter, it's getting dark very early. So that's gotten a little bit trickier. Uh, traditionally, my solace was jujitsu. Um, so after nice. the workday, I would go and do jujitsu for an hour and I found it to be very decompressing because uh, you really can't think about anything else when somebody's focused on trying to choke you out. <laughs> so you're just trying <laughs> to protect, protect and defend. Uh, but I will say um, it's been difficult right now. I do think things will improve once schools start reopening, which may happen soon. Um, but uh, uh, I don't have any great tips. I do get up three hours ahead of most people in the house 
And so in the morning I get some peace time, but to be honest, I use that to actually get real work done. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It's hard now because so before this, you would get up to have that alone time to do whatever it, you needed to do. But now it, because everyone's home, that time is not used for that anymore. It's actually just to focus on something that needs to be done. And, and I agree with you. I think like COVID completely changed the things that I was doing before I do Muay Thai. So similar to jujitsu oh, um, in some parts, I guess. Um, so I completely get trying to do a sport where like you are only aware of what's happening right now because otherwise someone's going to punch you in the face. So I kind of miss just having that kind of like being yeah. on my own and doing that for at least 45 minutes, 50 minutes, I think is the I, class. I tried some of these. There's a lot of meditative apps out there. Uh, 15 minute breathing exercise, things like that. They were marginally effective, but the pro <laughs> it's, it, you know, it'll be 6 a.m. and I'll get a text. Uh, can you get some milk for the baby or something? <laughs> it's, like, it's just not possible to get a, to, to get to get an uninterrupted one hour is impossible uh, in the in the house with the baby running around, and I think that's just a function of having a little child. Um, I think when the daycares open up, it'll get a little bit better. But but awesome with Muay Thai because I train at an MMA gym, so I actually cross train both. So that's great. Yeah, it's nice. And I'm a meditation coach when I'm not podcasting or doing kind of like the nine to five. So it is it is a hard to kind of find that time to just to be mindful and just like you know kind of breathing, breathe out, and and take a break. Usually what I try to tell people is like, you have to shower and at least you'll try to get a little bit of privacy when you're showering. So even if you do like one minute of just like breathing exercises, that really just helps you kind of like calm down. And mostly in the morning is hard because you're feeling like groggy or like sleepy still, but it's well, the, it is, um, the practice become, helps. Yeah. And it's become unclear um, uh, how many people are actually following routine. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like. Uh, you know, people are working in their pajamas. I mean, that's, that's become modus operandi. I, mean, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I like get dressed, like I'm going somewhere and then I'm like, I'm not really going anywhere, but I think like mentally helps me. So I like get yes. up and just even the t-shirt, you know, and some pants that are not pajama pants, but right, I correct. think it's just a mental shift in my head where I'm like, all right, I got dressed. So that means I'm, you know, I'm doing something today. Absolutely. Well, it's been great. Thank you so much for your time. I think this is a conversation that a lot of people are going to find very valuable. No, that's awesome. Yeah, no, uh, remote work is uh, uh, just phenomenal how it's growing and everything that's happening in and around it. It's, uh, it's going to be some exciting times as soon as we get turn this quarter. <laughs> yep. Well, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. All right. Thank you, Marita. One of the main things that companies have learned this year is that remote work works. We've been able to work from home despite all the issues that come with it. Kids at home doing homeschooling, many Zoom calls that we have to join, trying to manage the dog and dinner and lunch. And that is if you have a family. If you're single, there are so many other things that you have to juggle. Having the ability to work from home gives you some flexibility to be able to do other things with your time. Or if you want to work an extended hour or shift how many hours you work, it is at your disposal to do that with the flexibility that remote work allows you to. 
this conversation has really opened my eyes to how much learning we still need to do as a society, how much work companies need to still do to provide a safe space for people to work remote. It's all a balancing act. And again, I'm a big proponent for mental health care and allowing people to balance family time, self-care, and work. With that said, if you would like to support the podcast, please remember to go to patreon.com slash Marita Espada, where you can contribute different tiers, even a dollar to help the show grow. But for now, peace out and see you next time.